Turn with me to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we can put a Bible in your hand. John chapter 6. Picking up with where we left off, which would be starting verse 15. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we can put one in your hand. I don't see any hands, but that means you all have one. Good. By the way, those of you that are visitors, uh, you can also fill out the visitor thing uh, just online. Just go to our website, click on CalvaryChapelRVA.com, click on visitors, and you can fill it right in on your phone. Preferably not now, so you'll be able to hear, but uh, earlier would have been fine, and then later is good too, so uh, another easy way to do that. Uh, starting in verse 15, um, what may preface one thing about this uh, before we get into these verses. Uh, remember last week I said, you know, you could teach what we looked at last week, the feeding of the 5,000, you could teach it from a, def- a bunch of different angles. You could teach it from the standpoint of the crowd. You could teach it from the disciples. You could teach it from uh, Jesus, from a, just a tr- he was just training uh, the disciples. You could teach it from just uh, the need of the world to be fed by Jesus, and so many different things. But uh, I think this text here, verses 15 through 21, kind of underscore uh, what we were looking at last week in the fact that Jesus, in all that he was doing and caring for the souls, he was really, really focused on training his disciples through hands-on things. And this is another example of that. It's kind of a, uh, it's sandwiched in here between um, the feet of the 5,000 and some of the hardest to teach texts that we have coming up. So I'll be chewing on a lot of uh, tough uh, verses over the next couple of weeks as we get into verses 22 through the remainder of the chapter. But let's pick it up with verse 15. We're just going to look at just 15 through 21 this morning. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came and his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind that was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Can you imagine that? And drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for each and every person that is here. I thank you for those that are watching online, those that are out in the uh, fellowship hall, those that are out in the courtyard, Lord, each and every person. I know we've had people recently tell me they were listening, driving in their car, Lord. Maybe there's someone right now who's listening in their vehicle. So, Lord, I just pray that each and every person within the sound of these verses and, and what we'll be discussing, Lord, each heart is prepared. Lord, remove every distraction that would hinder the work of your Spirit. Lord, cleanse us, wash us, Lord, do a work in us by your word. May your word convict, may it comfort, may it, uh, Lord, confront, uh, may it conform us. Whatever is needed to the image of Jesus, Lord, I ask once again that you'd remove me from the equation and yet use me by your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off last week with the disciples, along with Jesus being totally spent and needing some genuine Rest and alone time. You ever been totally spent? You say, I'm, at the, uh, I'm there right now. I can't even understand how I got here this morning. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're at home watching online you feel that way. But they were totally spent. They were totally wiped out. They needed that rest and alone time. But that didn't happen, did it? What did happen was they all witnessed the compassion of Jesus in seeing the greater soul needs of that crowd. And they witnessed, once again, the miraculous power of Jesus in meeting needs that are impossible for anybody else but Jesus. The disciples also saw an overflow. Remember of the crowd, it was 5,000 men, but more than likely fifteen to 20,000 people. They saw the overflow of 12 baskets 
left of fragments. Remember, they were fragments Jesus broke apart. They weren't half eaten. They were because he kept breaking them and he kept multiplying. He kept breaking them. They kept multiplying. He hands uh, hands them to the disciples. And they fill the 12 baskets. And we see some of the symbolism there. 12 disciples, 12 tribes, enough for every tribe, enough for really each and every person. Filled up for future meals and future needs. And I bet that after eating... Even the disciples, remember, they were wiped out and spent when this whole thing started. Then they had to serve like waiters. But I bet they're somewhat refreshed after at least an all-you-can-eat meal. Although that can then make you really tired too, right? But not only food, but also the encouragement, the amazement of what they saw Jesus do. It's been both the natural infusion of, of a needed meal, but also the supernatural infusion of Jesus doing the miraculous once again. And the privilege of being part of it, being part of the distribution, seeing the miracle fanning out, that the crowd couldn't even see the miracle that was taking place, that Jesus was doing that they could see for themselves his limitless power. But they're still human. I'm speaking of the disciples. They're still human. The limitations of the flesh are still present. And the backlog, you ever feel a backlog in your life? The backlog of work and travel and serving and learning. Sometimes learning will hurt your brain. And ministry, you're doing all-day classes, even like well after school. Like you're, you're now in your career and you do all-day classes. You're like, how did I ever do this for 12 years of my schooling year? How, how, I can't even concentrate. You know, we're all a little ADD, you know, that, that kind of thing. But just... But there's this backdrop in their, in their physical bodies, but also in their minds. So this would be a great time to just lay down and go to sleep if you're the disciples, right? Nope. <laughs> Jesus has other plans. He's going to take them further than they think they can go. And deeper than they thought they would go. And deeper into the night, it's like an addendum here, this, these, the 15 through 21, an addendum teaching to what they had just learned with the feeding the 5,000. Now they have an extra, or an extra added. I mean, you add added extra, you get extra. But anyway, you get that. <laughs> People are making up words. Why can't I make one up? <laughs> so you have this addendum to the day's lessons and victories. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, The Depths and Delays. But Jesus is there. Aren't you glad Jesus is there? And you're in deep places and you're in delays that you thought were going to be short delays, but they end up being long delays. Let's pick it up with uh, what in the Jewish tradition is the transition of one day to a new day. As the sun goes down, it starts a new day on the Jewish clock. So it's a sun goes down, a new day starts. For us, and if you're not keeping the Jewish uh, time frame here, it would be late afternoon, moving into evening, moving on into the night, and then you wouldn't have the new day until you hit midnight. But all of that late afternoon into the evening is kind of where we're at here as these things kind of transpire. Jesus is finished with the miracle and kind of the baskets are filled up. So what takes place now? It's late afternoon, early evening, but it's about to go into the evening and dark. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we'll look at this morning I've titled a futile attempt. You see it in verse 15, therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. It's late afternoon. It's getting close to evening. The crowd, many of them have been healed of infirmities and diseases, and wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you that are here today, I, I, would bet, I would bet more than half the people in here take some kind of medication, or at least a third, or something like that. Well, a lot of you young people, maybe not. But anyway, you, a bunch of the rest, you'd be throwing that stuff out because Jesus was, had healed people completely. No knee replacement, no hip replacement, no anxiety medication, no this, no that. All of that gone. He had healed thousands of all kinds of infirmities. And now they were filled with bread and fish, as much as they could eat, all singularly done by Jesus. And the crowd, 
who does believe that Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of, jointly agree that they should immediately make him their king. And you can understand why. Here's a man that's healed thousands and fed thousands by himself. No taxes levied, isn't that great? No army, no cadre of political operatives. And he's Jewish. He's not Roman. They hate the Romans. If Jesus has this power, surely he has other power to upend Rome and, and put Israel back on top. Surely he has that kind of power. Of course he does. Most politicians, most men and women, most people would be flattered by the adoration. Jesus is not flattered by it, not affected by it. Beyond their sudden enthrallment with Jesus, they're not even asking him to be king. They're demanding, attempting to force him to be the king. Let's understand this. Jesus is king. He's already king. He was king then. He was king long before then. He's king now. He's king in the future. He's king for all eternity. But his time to sit on the throne in this world, you know he is going to put a throne in Jerusalem. The millennium reign of Christ really is going to come. He is going to put a throne there, and he's going to sit on that throne. And his disciples are going to sit on thrones with him. But all that is based on the Father's will. It's coming. The Father knows the exact time. That's all based on the God's will and God's timing. Now furthermore, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to be a lamb slaughtered. Remember John's witness? Behold the, not king, not lie of the tribe of Judah, not the monarch, behold the lamb. No NFL team has put a lamb. No basketball team. There are the Rams, because they could, you know, they could take the horn, you know, like that, but not a little lamb. Behold the lamb. In fact, Israel and the whole world needs a lamb, not a lion. A lamb. All the sacrifices were lambs and goats and bulls and things like that, but... Um, we need a lamb for salvation, not a lion. There will be the opportunity for all of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We will get to worship the King, the royalty of Jesus. We'll see him in all of his splendor. We'll get to worship that. But we needed him to come and bleed and die first before we'd get that opportunity. Any role, any title, any timing related to Jesus has never and will never be dictated by another human being. No one tells Jesus, hey, do this, do that. Remember, even his own mother said, whatever he says, do it. Remember? When in Cana? Even Peter would later, he, he would later say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That was not a compliment to Peter at all. But he knew, the reason why that was, he knew that Satan was behind what Peter was saying. Not that, not that Peter was filled with Satan, not that Peter was actually, the Judas would actually later be filled with Satan, but, but he was actually speaking in a way that was mirroring what Satan wanted to do, which was to derail the cross. Because Peter said, I forbid you. No, you can't suffer like that. You, you cannot die. And Jesus had to suffer and die. Satan was behind it trying to convince Jesus to avoid the cross. Now, Satan personally tried to derail Jesus where? In the wilderness. We came to Jesus in the wilderness, and he tried to tempt Jesus, say, why don't you do this if I give you this, and tried his best to derail Jesus, and you, you don't need to suffer like that. You're the, what are you, you're the king. You're the royal one. You don't need to die like that. You, why don't you, I'll just give you the kingdom of the world if you just kind of give me a little worship and adoration didn't work, and the scriptures tell us that Satan left Jesus in the wilderness and they looked for other times, more opportune times, the Bible says. And this is one of those times. This here right now, when they're trying to make Jesus king, is another time influenced by the serpent himself, influenced by Satan. But would Jesus 
receive their adoration? Would he forego the road to the cross? Would he now set up his throne and unleash his power against Rome and all the other kingdoms of the world and make thousands of Jewish residents really happy and love him even more than getting fish and loaves? Not a chance. <laughs> this had no influence on Jesus at all. You know, you and I might sometimes, we might get a little flattery or someone saying something, and, and we might brush it off, but at first we're like, hey, that, I kind of like that. I'll take a little more of that, you know, in your life, but you then say, no, no, that, I don't need that. But with Jesus, it's a, comp it's a completely futile attempt to ever try and flatter him, tempt him, steer him, force him, whatever. You, there's no manipulation of Jesus. None. And so Jesus just leaves and goes up to the mountain to pray, and that's it. It just says, and he departed again to the mountain by himself alone, which is very interesting that he pulls this off. You've got 20,000 people trying to force him to do something. How does he just walk away? It reminds me a bit of Luke chapter 4, where the crowds are attempting to throw Jesus off a cliff. And it says he just walks right through the midst of them. Here, they're not trying to throw him off a cliff. They're trying to exalt him. They're trying to make him their king. And then all of a sudden, he's just gone to pray. No one knows. It, it doesn't even say that. Any, like, I don't even know if he, uh, in, at this point, kind of blinds their minds. or It doesn't say anything about the crowds, like, where did he go or anything like that. It's like, all right, on to the next thing. Just kind of over. It's all in his timing. The disciples, soon after this, they, they head down to the shore and they get in their boat. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus made them get in the boat. If you ever feel like something is being done, that God's making you do something, yeah, there are things he will make you do. He made them get in the boat. He commanded them to. Some scholars actually believe that Jesus may have very well been preventing the disciples from getting caught up in the crowd's euphoria to make Jesus king. Like they might say, yeah, he's, he's a great rabbi. Maybe we should make him king. So we don't know that for sure. Uh, but at any rate, a new day, a new evening is now just beginning. Uh, the sun is beginning to set. It's beginning dark. And they're about to enter in, if you're taking notes, the first point here, a frustrating a frustrating night, or the second point, I should say, because we already looked at a futile attempt, but the second point, uh, a frustrating night. If the disciples, so let's pick it up with the verse here again, uh, look at verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then... The sea arose, and a great wind was blowing, so when they had rowed three or four miles. It's a good distance right there. But let's get back to before they even start the rowing as they come down to the boat. If they had any thought that Jesus might join them, they finally give up on that idea. And at least they begin to follow. This is a good thing. They only have one command from Jesus. Get in the boat, go the other side. I guess you could call it two, because you've got to get in the boat. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Guess what they're doing? Get in the boat and go on the other side. Hold on to that thought, this entire teaching, because that is their anchor. They've been asked to do one. If you want to break it into two, that's fine. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Whatever Jesus has asked you to do, just keep doing it. We'll pick it up a little bit later. So, the disciples, they would have gone down. If you look on the screen, I have a picture here of the Sea of Galilee. Looking from the Golan Heights, this is up on, this would be the very northeastern tip of the Sea of Galilee. The Golan Heights goes much further up north, all the way up uh, to where Mount Hermon and, and such is. But you're looking like, you're looking west here. They would have gone down one of these grassy plateaus. And remember it said there was a lot of grass and Jesus was able to sit the huge crowd in the grass. There's plateaus like this around the sea. But they go down to the shore and you can see how the elevations rise up around the sea. It's really a lake. Uh, if you're looking, I put some markers on here. Now you're looking west. 
put my own glasses on so I'll see what you're looking at. Uh, but now you're looking west towards the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we're standing on the east side of the Golan Heights, the northeastern side from Galma, which is up, um, again, kind of the midpoint in the Golan Heights there. Jesus and the disciples would have been a little further down the coastline, but it still looks relatively the same, so you'd be further down the coastline. And they have to go over to Capernaum, which I have marked there, and that's a 10-mile away from the actual sea view, so you're looking 10 miles across the landscape there, another 8 miles across the lake, so you're looking 18 miles across there if, uh, if you're looking from Galma there. But uh, Jesus has already told them to get in the boat and get to the other side. He, they can't walk around it. That wasn't his instructions. His, what, he didn't say go walk there. He said get in the boat, get to the other side, just start rowing. Just start rowing. Regardless of the time, does Jesus not know it's dark? Why would he tell us this when it's just about to get dark? All right, well, they do. Uh, they start heading out there in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So he's already told them, I'm not going to join you. You're going to go before me. I'm not going to be with you. But that doesn't mean he's not with them. He just said, go before me to the other side. And he sends them out into the deep. The deepest part of the lake is in the middle. He sends them out into the deep, into the dark. Remember from last week in verse 6, it said when he told them, you go ahead and feed the crowd, and that was an impossible task, he did this to what? Test them. If you're a Christian, you're still in class. And if you've ever taken any kind of course, you know that you don't get one test, you get multiple tests. You get a final exam, you get tests along the way, you get tests in all your different subjects, and Jesus is still testing them. As you follow Jesus, brother and sister, class is always in session. There's never a time you're not in class. Did you know even when you sleep, sometimes God's speaking to you? I've had him speak many times when I'm sound asleep. Class is still in session. Disciples are students, and students learn by not just knowing things, but doing them. Not just, you know, it would be a really cool, just think about your mind what rowing across the lake would feel like. He doesn't say, just think about it. He says, do it. Get in the boat, get to the other side. Exercising obedience, which is faith, is always required. And then we have to take new steps of faith. Let me give you an example um, about the kind of faith that we have and then exercising it. You can prepare in the Word. You can spend your time in devotions in the Bible and in prayer. And, and you can become a spouse that can build up and strengthen your spouse. But even when you kind of become more conformed to the image of Jesus, you can build up and strengthen your spouse. Then, as you grow, you have to learn to row the strokes that you're reading about. You actually have to row them out that you prayed about. Things like patience. You don't need patience until, until someone tests your patience. Nobody needs patience if no one tests your patience. There's no, that doesn't mean anything. I'm the most patient person as long as you don't test my patience. <laughs> That's a pointless thing. Then you have things like love. Are you going to love when people are unlovable? Joy. When you don't feel like being joyful, but the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. You say, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be joyful anyway. I don't even care. I just know Jesus is risen. That's enough. Things you read in the Word, you've got to put it in practice. Understanding. Being willing to be an understanding with people. Dying to self. Well, I already had this plan and that plan, and, and now my plans are changed. You have a lifetime of that. Even when you're tired, you still got to be kind. You still have to be patient. It's your best chance to actually learn that you've actually learned it at all. <laughs> that you can do it tired. Those of you that are parents, you remember this when you, we, I, I can't forget when our kids were little and you, we'd be exhausted, tired, and you're like, is anyone going to go get that kid in there? You know, anyone. <laughs> There's no one in the house but us, me and her. 
We'd be wiped out. But that's when you get to learn. Are you learning? And we can do these things, and we can do them in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We can do them because we have the help, presence of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, they had the help and presence of Jesus incarnate in their presence. They sometimes would completely forget that Jesus was watching them. You could hear from their arguments. You could hear from their, their thoughts about things. It just like They'd completely forget that Jesus was actually in control. But they begin this passage. They're, they're taking the little bit of information. He said, get in the boat, go to the other side. They do one of these, basically. Aye, aye, we waited around. He's not coming. All right, we really are supposed to go before him. They start to go. I've got my maps are back. Here you go. Different ones, though. Um, they begin the passage. Uh, if you look at the Sea of Galilee on the left-hand side, it's about eight miles across from where we kind of think the range. We don't know the exact spot they were, but uh, you can see the mountain ridges that go around. You can see the elevations as they go. All that's that right side. For reference point, you can see on the right side, the shaded area shows you what the Golan Heights is. Of course, it was not called the Golan Heights back then. Uh, all of that was Syria then, and um, Golan Heights became part of Israel after Israel took it uh, back in the 60s uh, and regained control of that, of that area and has held it ever since. Uh, but they were going to go diagonal across to Capernaum, which is up on the northwest corner of the lake. The lake is shaped like a heart there, and it's up uh, like, like your human heart, and it's up there uh, on that northwest corner. And you see the binoculars up there. That's, where, that's the angle we would have been looking at, that other picture from Galma, looking towards the north end of the Sea of Galilee. That's a 10-mile to the coastline, another eight, eight miles across. And today, by the way, it's kind of interesting that today you have four countries there that surround the heart of every... The, the bulk of Jesus' ministry was there in Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee. You have Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Israel, four countries... And even though Jesus came to the house of Israel, it tells me that he also came to the world. Because right there is kind of this intersection, literally like a four-way stop sign of the world, of three, these other three countries. Today, obviously, these, these countries um, are the modern names of these countries. At that time, that area was Phoenicia, Syria, Decapolis, and Galilee, all under Rome. But as the disciples are rowing, the winds start coming against them. They become fierce, and the waves begin to batter the boat. If you look at this larger map here of the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee is 686 feet below sea level. So if you were standing at, at the coastline of Virginia Beach, it would be like looking 686 feet lower than the, co than the coastline there. So it's well below sea level, it's a very depressed point at that whole rift valley that goes all the way down to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on earth. That's the starting point as it kind of even gets deeper as you get to the Red Sea. But it's 686 feet below sea level. The water temperatures range from the mid-50s in the winter to the mid-80s. About 86 is the high in the summertime. Every time I've been there, the waters have been probably about 60 degrees, uh, rather cool. And they're fed by springs that come directly out of those Middle Eastern countries of Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. They come, the springs come out of those countries and drop into the Sea of Galilee. That's why it's the largest freshwater lake in all that part of the Middle East. But uh, the dry winds can come from the deserts of Syria, or you can have the winds come from the Mediterranean, which I actually think that this particular wind that was stopping them was probably coming from the Mediterranean because of the time of the year. He said it was near Passover, and we can look at where the winds generally flow, and they flow hard from the west to the east at this time, which would have pushed the boat back. But they can get very fierce, and they can then funnel through the valleys of the wadis. They can funnel through the valleys and pick up speed. And then with pick up speed, if you have two different air temperatures, like hot, hot desert air meeting cooler air, or you have uh, moist air, um, moist hot air meeting the cool air, the temperature changes cause a pressure drop, and the waves begin to turn, and the winds can get very, very fierce. So on the Sea of Galilee, it can get really windy, very stormy, in minutes. It can happen very fast. It can come upon you very quickly, and this indeed happens. And so all of a sudden, they have these sudden powerful winds pushing against them, and it's pitch black dark. 
This is in the dark. Now, if you don't really love water and you don't love dark, and you don't love water and dark and wind and waves all together, then this is not your place. Because uh, this is not like a cruise on Carnival right now. This is, uh, this is not a fun trip at all. Now, these guys are seasoned fishermen. Do you think Jesus knew all this was going to take place? Sure. That they'd be out in the depths, they'd be out in the dark, that there'd be delays. They have now rowed for three or four miles, but they're only about to the midway point. They're close to halfway. Um, here in John, it says, again, they've rowed three or four miles. The other Gospels indicate they had rowed for hours now. For hours. They've essentially hit a wall. Finally, the winds have gotten so fierce that the boat won't go any further. They're just like rowing in place. Just kind of like your elliptical machine. Going nowhere. Some estimates is they have now been rowing six to eight hours based on Matthew and Mark saying it's the fourth watch of the night. It's after 3 a.m. They've been rowing all this time they should have been at the other side plenty by now. Do you think fatigue has returned? They were tired before the fish and loaves thing. In another storm, they were terrified, and Jesus was like this. In another storm, and he wakes up and he stills the seas. But the compilation of the other Gospels for this scene indicates that in this particular case, they were more frustrated and at their wits' end than they were terrified at this time. Because it, doesn't, it, was like a, it was like a steady wind. They couldn't get any further, and they were mostly frustrated. They're just hours now from the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Yet the problem in front of them and restraining them has pushed everything else out of their minds. You ever been there? Yeah. That what is dominating your mind, is pushing everything else that, even things that you know about God or about Jesus that should give you comfort and peace, you can't even hold on to that because you're thinking nothing but the problem. Nothing but the problem. They might be thinking to themselves, hey, if we'd have walked around the lake, good night, we'd have been there by now. <laughs> even though it's another like 18 miles further, we'd have been there by now. Or maybe 10 miles, not eight, it, about 10 miles further, probably a total of about 18. But remember, brother and sister, those of you online, it's better to obey Jesus when you're seemingly making no progress than to do your own thing and make what you think is progress, which isn't progress. This is our problem in our country. We're doing whatever we think is right in our own eyes, and then we're calling it progress, and it's regress. And it's worse than that, it's going to bring the judgment of God. Now, for us as believers, it brings the chastening of the Lord if we're saying, you know, you said to go in the boat, but we decided we couldn't get any further, so we went, we just let the wind drive us back, and now we're going to walk it. That would be an option, but a bad one. So they just keep doing whatever they're doing. We don't know, it, we're, they don't know where Jesus is in all this. But did any of the disciples stop and pray? It's not recorded that they did. We don't know if they did or didn't. Did they recall his power? doesn't say. But we do have their response. If you're taking notes, point number three here this morning, a fearful response. So when they had rowed three or four miles, verse 19, middle of verse 19, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid, but he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. What a scene. Mark tells us that Jesus watched this entire middle-of-the-sea conundrum they had from the mountain. Not that he needed a mountain or a vantage point. Jesus could see not only from the mountain. You know, we, were just, we saw the view there from Galma where we could see 18 miles across. But Capernaum only shows up because I showed it to you. You couldn't see buildings. Jesus could be on the mountain and see all the way into Capernaum and all the way into the boat and all the way into your thoughts and my thoughts, right? So he doesn't really need the mountain, but as a metaphor for us, he's always above us, looking down. 
be assured, he sees your situation. He sees your toil. He sees your struggle. He sees your fatigue. He sees your pain, whatever it is you're going through in life. Alexander McLaren said, he is on the mountain while we are on the sea. The stable eternity of the heavens holds him. We are tossed on the restless mutability of time over which we toil. Here's the kicker, at his command. Sometimes he sends us into toiling things at his command. You, I think you probably know this by now. God knew that Joseph's brothers were going to sell him. God knew that Paul's ship was going to wreck. God knew that Daniel was going to get thrown into a lion's den. He allows us purposefully, not only allows us, he makes sure it happens that you get certain tests in life. That'll either make you run and hide or run to Jesus. And you can only run to him in your prayer life because a lot of times you're stuck. They're stuck. In the, where can they go? They're just trying to make the progress. This is all a test of their faith. But it's going to move to an open book test because Jesus is going to come and be right with them. It says in Matthew 6, 48, then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now it was about the fourth watch of the night, as I mentioned earlier, and he came to them walking on the sea and he would have passed by them. He would have walked right past them. By the way, uh, it says, for the wind was against them. In life, Jesus will let certain things be against you on purpose. Wind, you can't cuss out the wind. It doesn't care. Right? The wind was against them. It wasn't even specific people. You don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. God will allow some things to come against you and to see how you respond with what comes against you. He'll allow you to toil. It's not a fruitless exercise to row in place if Jesus wants you rowing in place. You might have stronger muscles when you're done. That's a pretty good thing. But they're exhausted. They're frustrated. They're lost at what they should do. They might be now growing a little bit anxious. Jesus said to get to the other side, and they have to be thinking, we're doing exactly what you said, and we're not getting anywhere. It's not working. Maybe you've thought, I've read, I've prayed, I've read, I've prayed, I've read, I've prayed, prayed some more, read some more, prayed some more, worshiped some, fasted some, prayed some more, and still little or no progress. You think Joseph felt that way? I think Abraham and Sarah felt that way. Tell them I have a son. You know how old you are, Sarah? You know, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Not working. But if you're obeying Jesus and you're still pointing in the direction he told you to go, it's working. Just keep rowing. It doesn't matter if the wind's against you. Wait. C.S. Lewis said, I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. It's good for us to wait sometimes. It's good for us sometimes. If the, if the command is from Jesus and we're making no progress, we're actually making progress. As long as the command is from Jesus. I told you all a long time ago a story about the evangelist who went and he knew God told him to preach to a bunch of guys, lumberjacks. And when he got to the lumberyard, there was no one there. So he preached the whole message to an empty lumberyard. Turns out that one guy had forgotten one tool, came back and listened to the whole sermon from behind the stack of lumber, went back and witnessed to the group of guys. A bunch of them got saved. Three became evangelists. True story. Because he preached to an empty lumber yard. That doesn't seem like progress, does it? So as the disciples, they work, they wait, they try and weather the storm, which again is all obedience, which is a good thing. They're actually passing this part of the test. A surprise event, a turn of events, Jesus starts walking on the sea. Now this, can, I, can you imagine this? Jesus is not just walking on some smooth as glass sea. This is waves that are going crazy. And I don't even know how this works. And the physics of walking on it is, is beyond our understanding. But then on the, the seas, it's almost like he could make each white cat rise to where his next foot is like steps or something, you know? Because it's just, tumultuous washing machine 
washing machine of sea, and he's walking across it. He may have calmly walked. They've rode three or four miles. He might have walked three or four miles like this, just casually, him and the father just talking, walking towards them. We kind of get in our minds that the Bible story that Jesus walks a couple of feet. No, he might have walked three or four miles. That's not even counting coming down the side of the mountain over crashing waves against gale force winds, walking through it like you walk through your kitchen, just looking for a snack <laughs> on a leisure walk. As he gets close to the boat, they're struck with fear. First it was the storm. Now they think it's a spirit or a ghost. They're in a storm. They know Jesus is their rabbi and their Lord. And now the fear of spirits hits them. We don't know if they ever even had this fear before. You ever had a fear hit you that you never had before? Comes out of nowhere? Our fears, the vast majority of them, are irrational responses. They're irrational doesn't mean that they don't cause real issues for us. They can. But, uh, but especially where in Jesus are they irrational because he has everything under control. You ever had to preach this to yourself? I've had to preach to myself thousands of times. The NFL coaching legend Vince Lombardi said, fear makes cowards of us all. And it's noteworthy that when we're exhausted, we can really lose perspective, right? They mistake Jesus for a ghost. There's not even a such thing as a ghost. There's, there are demons, and there are angels, but there's not ghosts. But in their disoriented, tired, wiped out, frustrated, maybe now anxious, now fearful on top of it all, they're afraid that it's a ghost. Now, they've already seen Jesus calm seas. So, not a single one says, maybe it's him walking on the sea. He did actually tell storms to, to, to be still. No one thought it was perhaps Jesus. No, the response was fear. But Jesus wants them to ignore the fatigue and to pray. He wants you and I to ignore the fatigue and pray. He wants you to ignore the fear and pray. Not that you, can just, you can't just ignore it. You override it by going to prayer. They'll still come, but you pray through it to remember and pray. He wants them to trust the words of God. He says, get to the other side. Guess where you're going to get if Jesus says, get to the other side? The other side. You'll get to the other side. And he just strolls up right next to them. He would have passed them. Hi, guys. How y'all doing out here? As he got closer, then they realized it was him. And it says, then they willingly received him into the boat. Trust the words of God. As he strolls up, his first reassuring word is, it is I. It is I. Jesus speaking to you and me, no matter what you're going through, he's like, it is I. It is I who's there with you. It's I who saw it. It's I who know about it. His second statement is, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just obey the command. All right, Lord, I'll do my best. And even if your best is trying to say, Lord, I'm going to try not to be afraid, Start with that. He will honor that. I'm still learning this. How about, it? How about the rest of y'all? Still learning that? Just to say, all right, Lord, I, I, I hear that. I receive that. Then they willingly receive him. You have to willingly receive everything about the word, the work of the Holy Spirit, what you're hearing this morning. You have to willingly receive what God wants you to receive. Say, Lord, I willingly receive it all. And they willingly, willingly receive him into the boat. Everything changes when we willingly invite Jesus into every aspect of our life. Every aspect of our life. All of it. The passing of the test, you know, well that is all with the help of Jesus. Our final point this morning, a faithful arrival. He's testing their faith. He says, get to the other side. If they're going to make it to the other side, if you're going to make it to the other side, if I'm going to make it to the other side, it's going to be because of not our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. The Bible says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And it says here, it says, then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on 
at the land where they were trying to get to. Immediately. In the blink of an eye, Jesus gets in the boat, and they're at the destination. I remember, uh, you ever seen uh, Willy Wonka on the cho chocolate factory? They're in this gale force thing, and all of a sudden, the boat is there. Gene Wilder's the captain of, you know, like, he's weirding everybody out. And, uh, but all of a sudden, the boat's just there. And that's my, in my mind, it's all of a sudden, they're in this storm, and then the boat's just there. The arrival is successful because Jesus is faithful. The arrival is successful because Jesus is faithful. He'll get you through anything he calls and commands in life. Uh, I told this uh, first service, um, when I, was tr I had already changed. I had dropped out of college, went back to college, had been in three or four. You know, at the end, I had been at four universities. When I finally was set to graduate Florida International University in, in Miami, and State University School, kind of like VCU down there, but um, I had one class to finish. It was a math class that was above my pay grade. And I had already failed it once and took a secondary course just to figure out how I could pass it. And I was certain, and I, not only, I know for a fact I failed the final. When I needed the grade, I know I'd missed it. So I walked up, and I had, the professor knew that I was working as hard as I could to figure and, and I. When I handed in the paper, I said, because I knew that that was the only thing keeping me from my bachelor's degree, I, I handed in the paper, I said, I'll see you again next semester. <laughs> and he says to me, he's not even a believer, he says, no, you won't. He wrote on the paper, and whatever the grade, I can't remember the number it needed, he gave me the exact number and basically threw it to the side. He said, get out of here and go do stuff. And I had prayed. My wife, had, I had prayed. I was like, there's no way. I am toast. This is not going to happen. <laughs> and, and I don't know, but it was like, my point is, God with the disciples, he just wanted them to row in the right direction. He wasn't telling them to solve it. He wasn't telling them to figure it all out. He just said, just keep rowing. But my muscles are aching. Just keep rowing. But I'm not getting anywhere. Just keep rowing. That professor, all he wanted to see, did I put forth the effort? He was not going to hold me back over that. And Jesus loves you way more and is going to put you in things, but he's not telling you to figure it out and solve it. Just keep rowing. Just keep rowing in that direction. Each storm or obstacle tests our reliance on his faithfulness. It tests our reliance on his faithfulness. In Psalm 910 it says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who seek you. He will not forsake. If you follow, uh, all I know is I'm supposed to get in the boat and row. That's enough. Yeah. Trust him. He won't forsake those who trust in him. He may be silent at times to test us, but he'll be faithful in every storm and every trial to one day bring us immediately not to Capernaum, but the other side of eternity. The other side of eternity. This life is a vapor. It's going to be gone faster than the storms of Galilee rise and go, and they're gone. Everything he's looking down is getting us to the other side of life. This is a metaphor as well of there's a lot of storms in life. You'll go through them. You keep obeying Jesus. Row the direction. Do not point the boat in any different direction but heaven. Pointed at heaven and just keep rowing in that direction. But, but all of America's going to hell in a handbasket. That's fine. You keep rowing in the same direction to heaven. They can row the other way if they want to. Although we'll do our best to pull them into the boat. As you're rowing to Capernaum, get other people there with you. But as we close with, let me give you this quote from D.L. Moody. We do not know what is before us, but if we have received Jesus Christ, let the storms come. Let death come. Let sickness come. We are secure of a life beyond the grave. The whole thing, Jesus like, I'm not going to get you through this storm to Capernaum. I'm going to get you to eternity. Amen. And with safe passage. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we again, we just humble ourselves before you. Lord, we are thankful you give us very simple directions. We can't handle complex directions. But Lord, we're thankful that you give us simple ones like Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. What a simple list of one.
Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another one list. Lord, I pray that uh, we see ourselves and the disciples, Lord, that, that uh, they may not have understood or they might not have even agreed that you didn't come with them, but they did obey. They did point the boat. And Lord, you were with them, watching them and then coming to them. And Lord, and then helping them. But you'll help us. Whatever it is we're rowing against in our own life. We just thank you that you're faithful. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you allow the storms, but you also are above the storms. You're Lord of the storms. You can walk on top of them. And even Peter jumped out of the boat at this same scene and, and walked for a bit, showing that we really can do all things through Christ. As we come to a close, um, I just don't want, to I don't want to take for granted that everyone here knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but perhaps everybody does. But before we just close and worship, if there's anyone that wants to give their heart and life to Christ, this wasn't a gospel message, this was mostly to believers, uh, almost entirely to believers, and those of us navigating life with Christ. But if anyone doesn't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, say, I, I want to invite him willingly into the boat with me, or me get in the boat with him, just raise your hand. I want to say a prayer with you if you want to give your life to Christ today. It doesn't matter if you are religious or churchgoer. That doesn't get you to heaven. Anyone at all. For the rest of us, I will say this. He will let the winds sometimes be contrary against you. And I'm probably not telling you something you don't already know. What I'm saying is know that sometimes Jesus purposely has allowed that. Don't talk to the wind. Talk to the one who's above the wind. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, may it settle far beyond anything that I've shared with the work of the Spirit to what each person needs. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?